Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Darren Patel, who's a doctor of pharmacy and vice president of medical affairs at PacHealth. PacHealth is a leading digital health coaching company that helps people with chronic conditions develop self-management skills to improve their health. And it also happens to be a sister company where we share advisors and investors in Coveras. We're part of the same strategic health alliance through Coveras. So Darren is a faculty member at the Alpert Medical School of Brown University, as well as at the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy in Boston. And he sees patients at the Boston VA. So I don't know how you do it all, Darren. PacHealth's experienced a large spike in demand for its services due to COVID-19. And we're looking forward to learning more about you, the company, and the journey you've been on with your teammates. So thanks for joining us, Darren. Thank you for having me. So even though I gave you this uh, long intro, I was curious if you could start by telling us a bit more about your background and how you ended up focusing in on chronic disease management. Sure. Um, So I'm a clinical pharmacist by background. I trained locally in Boston, and one of the areas that I went into was chronic disease and specifically diabetes and endocrine. I have a very strong family history of diabetes, and one of the reasons my father has it, grandmother, grandfather, and so something that I was interested in been seeing patients for 12 years um, in a diabetes clinic. And one thing that was very evident to me is like I was making impact on my panel, my, you know, census of patients, but, you know, kept repeatedly seeing the same issues surface. And I'm like, there's got to be a better way to be able to deliver this. And back in 2013, 2014, um, I actually met our CEO, Mozzie, at a bar in Boston. This is actually how it all got started through a friend of mine. And at this point, he had this idea sketched out on a napkin and is thinking of doing this. And I'm like, this makes a total sense. I got the pain point because it's something that I was living with every day, you know, can only see 10, 12 patients, and then they're gone for another three months. And I couldn't really do much to help them in between their visits. And so I asked him, I was like, you know, there's a lot of chronic conditions, which condition are you going to be focusing on or starting with? And he said, diabetes. And I said, why? And he's like, I did a Google search and I went on CDC and there's a lot of people that have diabetes. I was like, okay, well, here's how I can help you and and why. And didn't think anything would would come out of that interaction. We have a lot of those type of interactions. And then two weeks later, him and his co-founder, who are not clinicians, called and said, all right, we want to get started. What do we do? What do we tell these patients? And so that's kind of how, how it all started. And I saw the opportunity to kind of do what I was doing in clinic, have a complimentary service to help these patients extend their care beyond the four walls of my clinic. And that's kind of how it all got started. That's awesome. I actually didn't know that backstory having, even though I've met you and, and Mozzie multiple times, that's really great to hear. Yeah. And so, you know, Pack Health, obviously you got your start with diabetes, but I know you've expanded quite a bit and uh, including multiple sclerosis and, and several other things. Can you tell us more about Pack Health and what you all actually offer and um, how you see it fitting into the larger healthcare landscape? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think that's one of the things that it's kind of set us apart from the beginning. You know, we started in one condition and we say that, but one of my biggest feedbacks to Mozzie was, is like, listen, I see patients in a diabetes clinic, but they have diabetes, but they also have COPD and heart failure. And, you know, no one just has one condition. And so at that point, you know, they had done a market assessment. There were a lot of other bigger, well-known companies that, you know, now we call them point solutions, right? Because they only deal with one condition. And that's the early insight. And we actually got a lot of advice along the way 
to not do that. Everyone thought we weren't focused and we were all over the place because we were focusing on multiple conditions. And one thing I told him is, is that I can tell you that if you move away from that model, the adoption by providers like myself, the health systems, the payers, it's not just going to work. We provide digital health coaching and remote patient monitoring for 25, over 25 chronic conditions. And if you think about it, if you just offered one, how is you or as a patient going to be able to have a coach for your heart failure, your COPD, for your diabetes? You can imagine that patient member experience just doesn't work, right? And you need to holistically take care of that patient. And I think that's what we've stayed true to. And over the years, you know, that's kind of, we've been hyper-focused on the member. You know, I go back and forth between patient and member, but we call them members and addressing some of these social determinants of health, because we know that it's not just take your insulin or take your medications. There's so many other factors that go into maybe why a patient misses their insulin. Is it cost, food insecurity? There's so many things. And so our kind of motto is, let's be the quarterback for that patient, take care of all of their needs for their chronic conditions. And as many of the barriers that we can take down is going to help us move us that patient so much closer to getting to their clinical outcomes, clinical goals that they have. Yeah, that's a great insight. I know oftentimes we hear that we have to stay focused. You know, if you have more than three priorities, you have no priorities, as Jim Collins says. But yeah. the fact is, a lot of these patients and members that you're all treating do have multiple comorbidities. And uh, that's part of why they need that quarterback, as you're saying. So what kind of results do you see or have you seen with the members to date? So across all of our conditions, we have a very academic and research gene and all of the folks in our company. So we publish at all of the major meetings, the American Diabetes Association meeting. Um, We have an oncology meeting coming up here in a few weeks. Consistently, and I'll take diabetes as an example since we've been talking about that, we see a decrease in hemoglobin A1C of 1% in 12 weeks. We've actually done longitudinal studies um, because early on, they're like, this is great. You were able to show this impact in 12 weeks. What's the assurance that this is going to you know, last? And that's where I always go back and say, we want to teach these patients how to fish so they can fish on their own. And we showed uh, maintenance in that decrease in A1C up to a year uh, where it comes up a little bit. We're still uh, you know, sitting around 0.9% from an initial decrease of 1%. And we're starting off at a baseline of around 8.5% on a patient's A1C. Wow, that's awesome. So that, that's diabetes is one example. And have you done some research yet in some, some of the other programs that you all offer together? Yeah. So our other big buckets, um, so cardiometabolic, um, I shared that example of diabetes is one. Our oncology is a pretty big offering. And then our autoimmune is another big one. Across the board, um, I'll share some cross-cutting measures. We use validated what we call PRO or patient reported outcomes tools to measure this. And so ones that you're probably familiar with her, like for PHQ-9, and we measure these across all of our conditions. And so that's what we call our cross-cutting measures. So we consistently see improvements in stress, anxiety, depression. And these are all things, when you think about chronic conditions, that are big contributors to non-adherence. And so when we see improvements in non-adherence, you know, a variety of clients say, you know, how is it that you're able to improve medication adherence? Well, if you help figure out the underlying issues as to why that patient wasn't taking that medication, it could be that they were depressed. Maybe they didn't have access to transportation. Whatever that is will help with these, but consistently across the board in just a behavioral health, mental health standpoint, we're seeing decreases on the validated scales up to 30% reduction in flares for RA, 50% decrease in flares. And 
as you know, um, and you guys do a lot of, you know, great content videos around this for chronic conditions, you know, 80% of the things are the same, right? There's a huge influence of physical activity, of what your diet, you know, social factors such as alcohol, smoking, and there's obviously then condition specific things, but there's a lot of these things for just general health maintenance from a chronic condition standpoint that we should all be doing. And so we try to focus on those and then just get really good at, you know, what that 20% that's different for each condition that we need to customize, create content around and making sure that our coaches are advising around. Yeah, no, totally. A hundred percent get that. And so, you know, a lot of what you focus on is changing member behavior, patient mm-hmm. behavior, and that's one of the hardest things to do. So I'm curious, like what insights have you all developed that have made you effective at seeing those results? Yeah. So for us, we're grounded in that behavior change science, and it's a bunch of them that we use more common ones and popular ones that folks are probably aware of this is the BJ Fogg model the trans-theoretical model, we use like reflective listening, motivational interviewing, and we try to deliver what we call digital empathy. That's kind of our, our goal. Um, and so we have all of the you know stages of behavior change and we try to factor in all of that. But the big thing is, is you got to meet the patients where they're at. And the high touch model that we have is we're engaging with the patient five times in a given week. So it's three text messages, one email, and one phone call. So if you think about it, we're in that patient's pocket and it, you don't require an app or a portal or a login. If you think about how we engage with our friends and family, you take out your phone, you send an email, you send a text message and a phone call. That is literally how you engage with us. There is no username. It's the same phone number. And that patient can talk to their health advisor as many times as they want. It's not like I'll schedule it. Like we don't schedule meetings with our friends. We text them when we need to, and it should be no difference accessing coaching. And so we've made it that simple. Everything on our back end is collected and tracked and, you know, uh, we have the ability to look at it, but we wanted to put all of the technology on our side and not complicate it for the patients. Because if it was going to be another app that was on the sixth page of their phone, it wasn't going to get utilized. Right. And so we made that engagement frictionless for them. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. I mean, when we were starting Osmosis, we leveraged the BJ Fog B equals MAT to try yep. making things more frictionless. And so even though we do have an app where people can then access videos and get push notifications of questions, the original was we would actually just send text messages to our yep. uh, friends and med- other medical students with questions uh, to get them yeah. you know, learning and reviewing. So that's a super smart insight. And I'll, and I'll add to that. I mean, in your case, the app makes total sense and is very necessary. And we have one, right? But we don't require it for engagement like you do, right? Where some companies are built solely on, on that, where this is a tool, if you want to use it, we certainly have the option. But if you don't have a smartphone, life will still continue. And it's not going to be like, well, we can't do anything with you. So you had mentioned earlier about improvements in reducing patient stress, anxiety, and depression. Uh, you know, last few weeks have probably led to a lot more stress, anxiety, and depression than we've seen in a while because of COVID-19. Yeah. Can you talk to us a bit more about what you and Pack Health are doing and, and how it's COVID-19 has affected the business? We kind of went through like three phases there. The first is kind of what I'm calling like the stabilization phase because when no one really knew what to do, um, we made sure that our frontline and, and those are our health advisors, they were safe. They had all the tools that they needed because we knew that in every article that you and I have read and you guys have done some other amazing podcasts, everything that you heard was like folks with underlying conditions. 
that was all of our patients, right? So we needed to make sure that our frontline folks, which are our health advisors, were protected, able to work from home and continue to engage these patients that were at the highest risk. And so we did that pretty quickly. And, you know, we've been remote since then. The second was the surge in healthcare utilization or the capacity that needed to be created. So what started happening with clients of ours is patients that had COPD or heart failure that were in the hospitals were being discharged early to create capacity for the COVID patients that were going to be coming in and or they wanted to make sure that the patient that wasn't infected was safe because they were at high risk. And so either way, um, they needed to get them out of the hospital. But at the same token, their COPD or their heart failure exacerbation didn't go away. So we were helping to remotely monitor these patients. And so that if something were to happen, we can care coordinate and care escalate back to that system. The other and a smaller cohort of it were those patients that did have COVID that just needed to be remotely monitored. And so we picked up those patients that could care for themselves and recover at home, but someone wanted to make sure that, you know, they were keeping a close eye on them in case things did go south. And so, you know, we served a role there. And now when I'm thinking about the next phase of it is, is, you know, as we come out of this, even though we're not really out of it, America, and we've all now kind of decided that we've kind of had enough of this quarantine and things are starting to pick back up here. So, you know, what does that new normal look like? I think your model, our model, I think some of these things are here to stay. And now you talk to patients and they don't necessarily want to come in for every visit because they just got a taste of tele-whatever, right? And every system did, every provider, every patient, all of a sudden in the last two months has now completely understood what telemedicine, telecoaching, digital health coaching is. And I think there'll be some regression to the mean. I think some folks will go back, but a lot of patients are like, this is what's better for me. I, I don't want to drive an hour to come you know, share my blood sugar readings with you when I can do that remotely. And then let's get on the phone and kind of talk about that. So I think those are kind of the three phases that we had and kind of how we dealt with them. Yeah, no, that's super, super exciting. And I agree, like there's a quote I've shared pretty often with the team about, it was actually Lennon who said it, he said, uh, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And so some totally. of the things we were looking at from a telehealth perspective, a work from home perspective, online learning, which is our space, things that we were thinking would take till 2023, 2025 to come to fruition yeah. are coming to fruition now in the matter of weeks or months. Yeah, absolutely. And even still teaching. So I, I teach in our digital health elective at the Mass College of Pharmacy and others. And I think that the, the learning piece is one of those that now everyone, you know, that whole model has been just wrecked, right? And so I think what you guys were doing early on, now it's totally been cemented. And it's unfortunate that it took a pandemic to, you know, prove some of our models, including yours. But there's never been a better time now for our companies to be moving forward and, you know, delivering care and learning in digital virtual models. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's kind of exciting times that, that we're able to actually do things that will make a difference. And as we say, raise the line. So speaking of your other hat as a pharmacist uh, by training, I'm curious, how is COVID-19 affecting pharmacists specifically in that, that industry, the whole overall pharmacy industry? Yeah, actually very proud um, of our profession and kind of what's happened here. I mean, early on, I think th they weren't in that frontline characterization, but I think slowly that has happened and you've seen, you know, the pharmacies are still open. 
they're still dispensing drug. Um, and you even saw that in some of the legislation, like in the HEROES Act, initially pharmacists weren't going to be a part of that. And then they made that change. Just recently in California, you saw they're now part of the folks that can administer the COVID tests. And HHS just came yesterday and kind of clarified that, saying that there are, our ruling is going to trump any state requirements that would prohibit me from ordering a COVID test. So I'm really proud of, you know, what the profession has stepped up and, and done here because, you know, we're very accessible. One of the most trusted professions year after year, you know, pharmacists are on top of that list. And then the big one is the fact that we were testing all of these drugs that were off-label, right? And so every drug that was being administered, whether early on it was hydroxychloroquine or remdesivir, these were all what we call off-label investigational drugs. And so it required a massive response on the folks um, in each of these institutions to put together these protocols because they were all being administered under a protocol or emergency use case. So, you know, the banding of that community to kind of share best practices and saying this didn't work or this worked, here's what made it better. I, I think that doesn't get into the mainstream media, but I think the pharmacists have done a, a phenomenal job there. So speaking of professions in healthcare, you know, I know PAC Health's also created a, a health coaching institute, and we've had the pleasure of talking to Mazi and Mikhail on your team about that. Can you talk more about the health coaching as a profession? Correct me if I'm wrong, more of your clinical staff are health coaches than any other kind of clinical staff on board at PAC, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we think that that industry is going to continue to grow. And if you kind of think about where we've thought medicine is going, you know, we had specialists and then we had primary care doctors and then we're like, great, we have MPs and PAs, they're going to help with that. And now the MPs and PAs also want to specialize. And, you know, it's just, you have pharmacists helping, there's just so many chronic conditions. And I always say it takes a village to take care of patients with chronic conditions, um, where we need everyone on the team. And, you know, I think health coaches uh, and health advisors are going to be a part of that team to the point where now they've designated a CPT category three for health coaches. And so CPT category three doesn't allow you to bill, but they're using that for monitoring so that when you do get elevated to the actual CPT codes that physicians, clinicians use, and you can get reimbursed for your services. So that's a pretty big step that you can see is headed in the right direction to the point where there's going to be reimbursement tied for the services rendered. That's fascinating. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really an interesting space to watch. And again, telehealth, I mean, all of this stuff with the CARES Act has catalyzed telehealth. So hopefully health coaching will be part of that too. I know we're coming up on time. So just two more quick questions. One is, you know, as a health professional yourself, uh, do you have any advice to early stage health professionals or even students who are members of our audience about challenges of the COVID moment and how they should approach the next few years in healthcare? Yeah, this is something that I've even told, you know, our cohorts. So we're teaching our institution, even at PacHealth. So I have students rotating with me. I have four students that pharmacy students that rotate every six weeks and uh, other groups take dietetic interns and behavior psychology interns. And I know a lot of people's, you know, graduation plans and things kind of got uprooted. It's kind of to that message that you, the point that you made earlier, you know, it's okay. You've been learning for four or five years and been paying to learn. Now it's your time to go find a job that will allow you to continue to learn. And I know there's a lot of hesitation with, you know, some things, classes went online quickly and it wasn't the same experience or the college experience. And I say, it's okay, right? You missed a half a semester of something, but your learning is just now starting. 
So don't worry about it. Follow your passion, follow your dream. Now just find a job that allow you to learn for another four or five years. And, you know, your learning is just now starting. You're getting into that experiential phase of your life where you're, you know, starting to now apply things. I'd say also keep an open mind. Medicine is going to be, you know, delivered very differently. Learning is going to be very different. And so embrace some of the new modalities that are now here to stay, you know, such as distance learning, virtual learning, you know, flipped classrooms. These are different things that historically people have been used to just that lecture approach. And I think the skill set that's needed is very different. And I think some of the things that you guys are doing and how education is being delivered, I think is the next kind of wave. And my message is, is embrace that wave. Um, you can be a part of that change. I always tell my students, you know, do you want to be the taxi driver or do you want to be the Uber, right? And you can sit there and just, you know, resist and see what happened to that industry. And so my message is, is try to be on that disruptive side of any change if you can. So one final question. Are there any other comments or thoughts you'd like to share before we wrap up? You know, I don't think we're out of this pandemic. If there's anything that we realize, there's a lot of things that we're going to have to think through differently. You know, some of the same points that we just discussed earlier, you know, medicine, learning, travel. I mean, um, you know, my message there is, is, you know, we still need to be hypervigilant of what we're doing. We're not in the clear. We're going to learn a lot. We're going to make a lot of mistakes, but it's, you know, how quickly we, we learn from those mistakes, how quickly we can share data with each other. You know, you have big companies that normally wouldn't work together that are working together, sharing data. Uh, hospitals are sharing and bartering supplies because someone has extra ventilators and doesn't have PPEs. And so again, that message there is, is just be prepared to live in this new norm, whether it's working from home, learning, how medicine is going to be delivered, practiced. Um, I, I think change will be the new constant. Great parting words of wisdom. So thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today, Darren. Thank you guys uh, for the opportunity and kudos again on, on the great work that you are doing to uh, you know keep all the uh, higher institutions and academic institutions uh, still going. Thanks so much. So with that, I'm Shibulani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>